Now the little boy doesn't say a word, picks up his ball, he is undeterred, says I am the greatest there has ever been, he grits his teeth and he tries it again, and the ball goes up and the ball comes down, swings his bat all the way around, the world's so still you can hear. Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-hosts and stars of the show, Kevin Kernan and Will George. It's a day at the yard. I'm sorry, not a day at the yard. Will, I'm sorry. It gets me going. It's That's coaching so Kernan here. It's the original format, the original show that got us going. Um, we're bringing it back. We are without Sal Marinello today, who's on uh, on vacation this week, but um, he'll be texting us throughout the show, I'm sure. But before we uh, bring on our 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 co-host here just want to thank our audience, 50,000 plus subscribers, 74 countries. We have a, uh, a little stoppage with the release of our sponsors. We should have that taken care of by Wednesday, uh, but it's all for you guys to thank you for helping us become the latest podcast stream on iHeartRadio. And that'll help our podcast hosts here with the wonderful job they do for you guys each week, bringing you great content and, and telling you the truth. And uh, for those of you who've been with us from the beginning or those of you who started listening to us and went way back, this is the show that got us going, our roundtable here on Coaching Kernan, led by the Hall of Famer, America's most beloved sports writer, Kevin Kernan. Kevin, welcome back to your show. It's great to be back. Yep. And uh, Will George, Will, also the star of A Day at the Yard, Common Sense Pitching with Wiley and Will. Uh, we are without Wiley today, so you're going to get to say a little bit more. <laughs> uh, great to be back with you guys. Always love talking talking with you. Yeah, we got tons of topics. We'll get started with Kevin because I know he... Uh, He's got a lot on his mind here, and he'll he'll get us rolling. But just want to uh, little little uh, world announcement here, and you know, take a look at the the papers today online. And Major League Baseball spent almost a billion dollars on injured players, and of course, our special beloved government is now thirty three trillion dollars in debt. So wonderful job to both of those entities on their part. And a little bit of tax advice uh, for our audience too. We'll give you a little bit of money advice as we get closer to the end of the year. If your car weighs six thousand pounds. How you weigh that, you have to go to a weigh station or maybe your mechanic can help you. But section 179 in your tax code, you can write that total car off as part of your business if you use it for 50% of business. So that's kind of up to you and your your accountants. A little bit of, little bit of money advice for our audience there as well. But uh, with that, I figure we might as well help our audience with money because our government's not. Baseball certainly doesn't know how to do it. So um, with that, Kevin, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. A lot's been going on this week. We had a great article on Brooks. Tremendous piece on the Giants and the Yankees. I love that tie together. And but a whole lot more going on. Gosh, we got uh, Taylor Swift and Travis. Oh, my God. Drive me nuts watching this garbage out there. But uh, go ahead. Turn it over to you. Yeah, I'm going to talk about the, my articles first. Um, if you haven't if you haven't read them, go to Ball 9 because um, they're, they're both tremendous, to be quite honest. And, uh, again, I you know, I get ideas. It's not me writing. You know, God helps me write these things. And, uh, um, you know, the, the Brooks Robinson thing with Brooks passing, he was such a – He's what baseball, why we love baseball. And as Will knows, he he, he kind of made Cal Ripken, Cal Ripken, because Cal followed in his footsteps. And I, um, you know, I saw the painting of him that Norman Rockwell did up in the museum two years ago. I went up there and um, by the way, I wore no mask, by the way. I think I was the only guy with no mask. In the- Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I made it through <laughs> just like September 20th, 2020 or September 9th, 2020. I went to a baseball game with Savannah Bananas, no mask, made it through. Um, you know, thank God. Awesome. Yeah, and uh, but Brooks, uh, that painting is so special because it's the only painting Norman Rockwell ever did of an individual baseball player, ball player, and and Brooks came up for the painting, and uh, just some writing things too, because we have fans that you know they care about everything, uh, you know, and one of our things we try to teach young people is the different aspects to get into the game of uh, whatever game you love, whether it's baseball or whatever. So I thought about it. I was sitting on my patio having some coffee in the morning. You know, Brooks had passed away. And I said, oh, I saw that painting. Let me let me do some research. So I called Dan Carubia, a docent at the museum. And he knows, you know, everything about the paintings. And and he's a great baseball man. He he played baseball in the, uh, up until he was like 65 and uh, pitched. And he's also a... A, the lead, one of the lead ushers at the Joe in Troy, New York, where you know the Astros used to have a team, and then they got screwed. 
Matter of fact, Mike Elias, the GM of the Orioles, first place Orioles, um, they uh, he was a first he was a first base coach there way back when with the Astros organization. So anyway, all this is tied together. You, you use your sources. Called him, found out some information. Uh, how the painting was made. Brooks went up there in 1971. Brooks eventually bought the painting for $200,000 and sold it for, I think, a million, at least a million. I don't know. The number never came out um, uh, and used that money for his foundation. So it's a great story. And also just a little thing, too. Sometimes you, when you're doing research stories and histories, things change. So after the story was um, presented, we, we got on Ball 9 website, we got an email from someone who was able, who was actually at the painting. He was one of the kids in the painting. He was the young man with the glove on his hand getting the autograph. And turns out it was his 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 family was neighbors with uh, with Norman Rockwell. And and so he had him, his sister, his mom and his dad. And they're all in the front row. And so so here we are, whatever, you know, 50 years later, 52 years later, learning more about the painting. So once he got in touch with me, I was able to because it's the internet, you can change things. It's not like the old days with newspapers. I was able to update that information as well. So this is not just a baseball story. It's a story about history. It's a story about America, a story about life, uh, why we loved uh, baseball and, and why there were so many good things about it. Now we go to the other one real quick, New York, New York. Again, sitting there thinking about what I got to write. If you got to write twice a week, 2,000 word pieces, that's a lot. So I was thinking about you know, the Giants just fired Gabe Kapler, and, and Will can address this later. He knows more of the ins and outs of uh, what Gabe does and doesn't do, and it was all about Gabe. And, um, and again, that's another nerd organization that went down down in flames, and nobody says anything. Oh, I remember, you know, Dr. Z, I call him, the GM. Um, he, uh, I, young writers were telling me he's the smartest guy in baseball. They were telling me this like eight, nine years ago. I said, well, what does he know? I, I wasn't impressed. And look what he's done with the Giants. He's no Bochy, no uh, Brian Sabian. So I also addressed, geez, the Giants and the Yankees, the San Francisco Giants and Yankees have so much in common and how they went about it all wrong. And uh, then I realized, of course, because I'm old, that, you know, hey, they used to be right across the street from each other, basically, across the river, Harlem River. So I did some research and and combined those two factors. Here we have the Giants, New York, New York, mirror, mirror, uh, two teams, organizations have gone the wrong way with all the money in the world. They both went after Judge. Uh, Judge stayed home for the captaincy. But really what hit me was Logan Webb and Judge had the exact same comments almost word for word about what's wrong with the organizations because both, both those guys are clued in. They're baseball guys. It's not baseball anymore. And here we are. Uh, so that's a, that's, a, that's a must read too. A lot of baseball people got to me. To be quite frank, it's going to be t- tough to keep this up because it's going backwards. But there are some teams we'll talk about later who are doing okay and have a future. But, yeah, those two articles to me, I think they were for about back-to-back. Uh, it's like having two great – it's like going four for four, two straight games, basically. That's how I look at it. Uh, yeah, it was like uh, I, when I thought about you, right, and I know your brother Sean is a Notre Dame fan. Notre Dame played two r- tough college football games, uh, playing eight quarters like that, banging banging it out. I thought that was your hardest-hitting piece, the, the last one you did with the Giants and the, the Yankees. I thought that was, uh, that was a connector that all your articles I'm amazed by, but that was a connector that I just, you know, so obvious once you read it, be like, oh, why didn't anybody think of that? But that's what makes your stuff so great. Well, uh, I, yeah, they're helping me. The media that's basically, you know, that uh, basically just writes about how great baseball is. And there are great things about baseball. I know that. But you got to look at your How can you be the Yankees and spend that much money? How can you not make the play? There's 12 teams make the playoffs. Yeah, you do it by you, accident. You're not one of the best 12 teams and you spend $280 million, whatever it is, plus all the advantages you have playing in a low league ballpark. You don't get left-handers playing your ball, hitters in your ballpark because you listen to nerds who know nothing about baseball. And the other thing I found interesting um, Cashman now is saying, well, you, you know, you can see he's already greasing the skids for the nerds, which is kind of ironic saying, well, you know, these are the guys, you know, they told me to trade for these guys or sign these guys. Thank you. Montos calls Rodon. And uh, we'll get into, uh, we'll get into uh, Rodon too. And uh, with the uh, little league pitching coach that the Yankees have Matt Blake and their altercation, but oh, that's, yeah. yeah, we got a lot to talk about. 
Go ahead. Give Will a chance. Yeah, Will, go ahead, Will. I I was just going to say, Kevin, you kind of stole my thunder. uh, You said, I don't know if I can write this every week. I think they give us enough every week that we just shake our heads and go, oh, my gosh. Um, I stopped saying, uh, wow, I can't believe I just saw that. Like, uh, last night I'm out here in the Arizona Fall League, and uh, because they don't do PFP, there were four ground balls hit the first base that ended up being bang-bang plays because the pitchers were late to the bag because they never do PFP. Uh, You know, in my sleep, if a ball, in when I was dreaming, if a ball was hit the first base, I would move towards the bag because make I that did break. It. You make the break. It's, it's I a little did it every, any time, even if it was hit the second base, any time the ball was hit to that side of the field, you're moving. Any time a ball is hit to the outfield and there's a throw either to third base or home plate, you're moving to that area. And these guys just don't do it. So, you know, fundamentally, um, well, well, let me jump jump in real quick. They not only don't do it, they're never called on it. How many times do we see, Will, and, and I know you and I text here and there when we see it, but um, the ball's hit, either the pitcher goes to the wrong spot to back up, yeah, he's at the wrong base, or he backs up, you know, what what I call the, 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 the lazy backup. He's only three or four feet behind the guy. He's not backing up. Yeah, well, you and I had one late in the year where the pitcher from the Giants was standing next to the umpire getting ready to make the safe call. And when the <laughs> ball got by, uh, our, uh, the, the, the runner scored from first base on a single to left field. <laughs> Should tell our audience, Will, just our young kids, butt, butt to fence, right? Get your butt to the fence so everything's moving yeah, forward. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, as deep as the park will allow you. If uh, in the the deep as the park will allow you is all the way to the backstop lined up with where the throw is coming from. So, and then you start to read, okay, you know, it's tailing, it's cutting or whatever. So now you're moving to where if the ball does get by, you're in the right place. Um, And uh, yeah, but you know, Kevin, I, I think they'll keep giving you ammunition every week. It's just like the world gives us ammunition every day. Uh, to to bring back some common sense and uh, just to weigh in on your article, uh, the Brooks Robinson, uh, in our world of uh, where people just don't like our country that live here, and those of us that love it, those are two things that spoke to our country. Uh, Norman Rockwell is my favorite artist. I have numerous paintings of Americana. It's what what we grew up, and Brooks Robinson is what we grew up, and the 69 World Series and the plays that he made and the person that he was. And, you know, I shared on Mark and I's podcast how good of a human being he was and how he taught us how to be a professional uh, when I signed with the Orioles and how to respect the game and, and be an Oriole and, and respect the fans and respect the reporters, everything from soup to nuts, how to be a pro. Well, there's, you, you, you hit on something that's huge. If we see this and I see this and uh, the, the managers see this, but there's no accountability. Do they ever say anything to the, uh, to the, uh, you know, the guys who don't get their back to the wall, who, who you know, and, and then, and the worst thing ever, too. The worst thing ever happened in sports, this is my opinion, too, and uh, uh, the my bad thing. You know, oh, my bad, my bad. You know, shut up. You know, go sit, go grab some pine. Grab some pine. But, uh, because our managers and our front offices are gutless, this keeps happening over and over again, yet we have to read that baseball attendance is up this year by so and so much. Well, yeah. Well, how about all the fools who, who were uh, in New York and bought season tickets or paid all that money to go to Yankee games this year and that team couldn't make the playoffs? Ditto San Diego. You know, ditto San Francisco. Yeah, some of those attendance figures are up. Seattle. Seattle, once again, unfortunately, doesn't doesn't uh, go over the hump to get to where they need to go. All those those teams I mentioned, San Francisco is down a little bit uh, for obvious reasons, attendance-wise. But all those attendance figures are up, but they didn't get what they brought, what they purchased. And nobody seems to, to be bothered by that. And uh, 
you know, it's just it's a social event going to a game now and the real fans. Uh, that's the other thing I loved about the um, about the uh, Rockwell painting. He has 11 fans in the background and you can tell they're real fans. You know, they're baseball fans. And, and like I wrote in a story, there's no moat keeping those fans from uh, from from being by their hero, like there is a Yankee Stadium where there's a moat where you literally can't go down anymore. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, you know, and and all that stuff. It's only been 50 years, but look how much the game has changed for the worse. And uh, we'll get to it later. Uh, but it's also changing. You know, they're trying to change football now too, as we saw this weekend, where um, you know the the uh, and by the way, I don't want to see another Travis Kelsey, Kelsey uh, commercial. He's over. He's overexposed right now. Too much Travis, you know, and uh, and and his uh, his his quote unquote girlfriend. Um, enough Swifties. Uh, I like Mike Tirico. I I know, I know the broadcasters are in a tough spot, but it's 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 Sunday night football. It's not Sunday night Swifty. All right, enough. That was terrible. They they showed her like a hundred times that. There's a part that bothers me with Kelsey now. He, he was against uh, all this stuff prior, putting stuff in his body. Now all of a sudden he's on a commercial uh, promoting it. And it was almost like one of, uh, and I hate to be conspiracy theorist, but it's too obvious in front of our space. You got like an Illuminati trade-off. It's like, hey, you do this for us. You pump this Vax and booster and we'll give you, you know, America's sweetheart to bump up your jersey sales. And uh, it's it's a uh, it, it was well, awful. I, I think he may have been. I think he was for the shot right from the beginning. To be honest with you, and uh, from from what I remember, now he's getting the commercial. He's getting the money. He's got his mom in the commercial, you know. And uh, it's it's brilliant marketing. But again, what are we marketing? We should be marketing the game. We should be marketing the NFL. The guys on the field are the stars, not some fan, overnight fan who who. Uh, you know, got great seats, a great suite, you know, and is banging on a window with some other people I never heard of. Right. And and that, that you know, I'm telling you right now, it, it, they, in my, and you tell me what you think, guys, but I think that was more of a Super Bowl type game. And it drew, a, you know, I think they got 27 million visitors, so, uh, audience uh, watching it. But it was a Super Bowl game where all the sideshow stuff was important, not the game stuff. And I actually think it affected the Chiefs in some ways. Mahomes, they, he wasn't on the same page like he always is with his receivers. He didn't have that good a game. I think there was so much sideshow to that game that it, that it, it, uh, it affected the football. And, uh, of course, one other point, got to mention it. The kid, I know the, the kid quarterback from the, from the Jets is, is struggling, but – he wasn't that good where you had to go over the top on what he threw. And and the basic mistake he made, Will was a quarterback in high school. Will, what would happen if you dropped that uh, snap when you come in for, for the winning points or whatever and uh, and lose it to the opposing team? What would your coach say? You, you just can't have it happen. <laughs> I, you know, and you guys saw the article I posted. I grew up in a town where at one uh, you know, they, they dedicated a street in my town where five guys played in the NFL. Wow. Um, at one point, we had uh, eight players playing in the NFL from my high school. We had a great program. Uh, I was taught fundamentally how to play the game the right way. I was taught fundamentally how to do my work every day. My coach was a great guy, probably had as big an impact in my life as anyone. Vince McEnany, a legendary coach there in South Jersey and Philadelphia area. And, uh, you know, you just can't do that, you know, and that's why you do repetition every day and you hold guys accountable, you know, it just, it just can't happen. And, you know, it's not like, it's not like uh, Rogers went down yesterday. This kid's had a few weeks to work this out. Yeah. Well, they've been preparing them for the backup role anyway. So the the reps were there. Yeah. If if your coach, if your coach confronted you or called you out or or even, uh, you know, I'm thinking of Rodon here. Uh, would you ever, how would you, how would you respond if your coach called you out, Will or, or Kevin? Uh, yeah, with, with, with the ultimate respect, you know, you, you, they're there to help you. And the players now don't realize that the people that run the game don't realize that everybody wants to be everybody's friend. Um, when you build an honest, genuine relationship as a coach with your players, 
and you're a pitching coach and you show them that you're in their corner, you're trying to help them, you know what you're doing, you are going to help them. Um, you sit down and you collaborate with them uh, how to make Carlos Rodon the best Carlos Rodon you can be. Um, you can see in a lot of cases those relationships aren't being built. And when the player fails, there's no pushback. We, we, we need to start having pushback. The inmates cannot run the asylum. I liked how Zach Wilson handled it, though, after the game. I don't like that he fumbled. There's no excuse for that, especially on that type of drive. He, he took accountability and, and didn't quite say my bad, but uh, said all the words around my bad. But I think, yeah. the, as we well, said on – you can see him on the sideline. I, I think, you know, I'm pretty uh, – all the years in press boxes, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at reading lips, you know. And, and uh, he said – he there was one point where he was standing on the sideline as, as the, 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 the clock went wound down, and he you could see him say – I lost this game. And he's right. He lost the game. It's never one guy like they always say, but in reality, he lost the game. Yeah. He said that in the press conference too. I was, yeah, uh, happily, it showed maturity. Cause when he came out last year, he was, uh, he was pretty immature with a lot of the stuff and I guess to be expected in some regards, but um, this, these guys are making millions of dollars and they're professionals now. Well, on the flip side, I got to say, and I saw it two weeks yeah. ago and I jumped on it right then and there. The kid from the Texans is a heck of a quarterback, Stroud. Oh my gosh, this this kid is. Uh, I'm very impressed. He's to me, he's the most impressive young quarterback out there. You know, you, you know, Kevin. The other thing, going back to Brooks, uh, uh, and you know, Jim Henneman, the longtime yes. reporter. Uh, he and Jim would talk to us about how to handle the press, and um, you, as a writer, know there are certain guys who stand up when they have a bad game and they're yep. not afraid to say this game's on me. I, I didn't do my job, but there's also a lot of guys that run and hide. And Brooks was very, very big about that. As he said, you know, you owe it to the reporters and you owe it to the fans every day, good or bad to sit down and tell them, you know, how your game went and, if it was a tough day, you, you own up to it and you move on because the sun's going to come up tomorrow and we're going to play again tomorrow. Well, along those lines, I had heard from people out West that um, Julio Rodriguez does not always show up when he, right. when he needs to be uh, yeah. interviewed after games. And he didn't show up the day when they had the confrontation with Nurse the, the day after. So that's tough in the media because you're between a rock and a hard place. But I can't tell you through the years, Will and Dave, how many arguments I got in with with uh with pr people and most pr people were good they understood that hey this guy's got to be here it's just like me if i write a critical column uh you got to show up the next day and you got to be in the clubhouse and take it if the, if people want to get on your butt so that's uh that's also uh lost there's a respect though too right if a guy has a bad day and he doesn't shy away from you edwin and diaz i'm glad you brought that up there because i remember specifically a few years ago a game in la where he he it was one of the worst losses I've seen. He just he blew it. I think he gave up a home run, a couple walks. Tell you what, though, when that game ended, by the time we made the long walk from the Dodger press box to the visiting clubhouse, which is under the right field stands, by the time we got out there, Edwin Diaz was waiting at his locker for us. And and, uh, and that's why I had so much respect for him when you had a great year uh, two years ago. And uh, that, that's a good point. Yeah, the, the advice I got was, uh, you know, everybody's a part of the game and your, your job as a writer is to paint a picture for people and everybody's got a different view of watching the game, but help people understand, appreciate, love the good and bad and the ugly of the game. And I was told those guys have a job to do. You help them do it because it's going to make your life better. It doesn't matter if they challenge you, if they, you know, come on to you or get on to you. It's all real based on their eyes and it's going to give, give the opportunity for the fans to see the well, game. Well, they're dumb if they don't because you can control the narrative. Yeah. I always, that's what always cracked me up about. The, and that's what A-Rod finally learned. You know, he would stop hiding. Uh, the, one, the one time I confronted A-Rod, I was standing there with Dan Shaughnessy. And this is when A-Rod and I were having issues. And it was the old Yankee Stadium clubhouse. And um, I told Dan, the writer from Boston, I said, watch, I'll say hello to this guy. And he won't say hello. But I said it loud enough so A-Rod could hear me say that. So I kind of put him on the spot. 
So as he walked past me, I said, hi, Alex. And he goes, hi. Oh, hi, Kevin. How are you today? You know, so it was like, uh, you know, he was getting back at me for getting at him. And from that point forward, we moved forward and had a much better relationship. Yeah. You guys, you guys catching any college football? I'm watching a lot of college football. Loving it. Yeah. It's, uh, that's real fandom right there. And, um, you know, I think uh, the only thing I don't like, but it's it's the you know the everybody jump everybody's a six year senior everybody's a six yeah. year senior. So, yeah. uh, but that makes it more of a college, let's face it, college football is a is a level of pro football, and now it's all out in the open now with the six year seniors and the transfer portal and things like that. Speaking of Notre Dame, by the way, I got I got I got I got to complain about one thing. How can you go two plays with only ten people on the yes. field? Yes, awesome a game, two games go. That that that's unforgivable. And also the broadcast. I know it's a Notre Dame station that's broadcasting the game, and the broadcasters did a nice job throughout the game. But neither one of them picked it up that they had ten players on each. And then, and I thought the coach's uh, excuse was, "Oh, I didn't want to get a penalty." And you know what? You have to distance to the goal. You know, make sure that was the game. Yeah, that was the game, and uh, but 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 college, yeah, college college football is uh, pretty pretty fun. I thought they, I thought Notre Dame outplayed Ohio State. I love the way cool. I like their physicality at the line. When I watch the game, regardless of the the outcome, at the the, the outcome at the, the end is unexcusable. But uh, I but thought they seem to learn. I give them credit because the next week they came out and they they, they seem to play a much better game. So good same situation at the end with Duke. They they had the lead. They were kind of giving up the lead, and he they had a different uh, different approach to it. Would you watch? Uh, I watched a little Colorado USC. I love the kid Caleb Williams out there at USC. Um, do, do you watching any any bit of that, Dion? Go ahead, Will. Uh, well, I I will say I didn't weigh in a lot because I'm still finishing up my baseball coverage, and uh, I did watch a little bit of the the Colorado comeback. Um, you know, the one thing from looking at it from a distance is. You know, Dion won his first couple games, and they coronated him the greatest coach in the country, mm-hmm. just like we do in all of our sports. You know, Ronald Acuna is the greatest player that's ever played. We forgot, you know, seventy steals, I, seventy steals. <laughs> everybody, you know, everybody that does well in one thing, they start saying they're the greatest ever. They're the, he he might be the greatest coach. At, well, no, you need to sustain, like Saban is sustained in other college coaches that uh, have, have long careers that, you know, you know, don't, don't, you know, you know, we can't coronate people on, uh, on flash in the pan work, you know, I mean, what are they now? Three and two or two and two. So, you well, know. And I, what my, I just want to weigh in with this point. Um, Deanne's always been a, I know him. I covered him a little bit and uh, in both football and baseball, he's always been a showman. He's a terrific showman for the game. I am getting a little worn down, though, by every, again, much like uh, uh, the girlfriend with Travis. I'm letting you mention her name. Good for um, you. Yeah. Um, now every 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 influencer or, or you know rapper or actor, it's got to be on the sideline in Boulder. Right, come on. Stop. Oh, yeah. It was it was littered with with uh, actors last week, I think, and some NBA players, too. Garnett and Paul Pierce showed up to watch. I, I like watching I like to watch Lincoln Riley when he was at Oklahoma. I don't think they're a top two team. They're probably in the top, you know, twelve. I watched Michigan and Texas. I mean, they just throttle people at the line of scrimmage. But watching Lincoln Riley now, he had uh they 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 had Colorado dead to rights in the second half. And I thought Colorado's game plan was better than the week before where they were getting quick outs. But Lincoln Riley, I noticed with USC, they had twenty plays in the second half that they ran where they had this huge lead, 20, 30 points where the, the clock was still running. The game clock was running and they ran uh, half of those plays with 20 seconds left still on the, the, the play clock. So mm-hmm. they had the lead by 30 and rather than just kind of let the play clock run down, um, you know, run plays where it's going to exhaust the clock. He ran 20 plus plays. I, I lost count after 20. I just didn't decide to count anymore where the clock was still running and he did it so quick that it gave, Colorado, the the opportunity to get back in the in the, the game there. Um, again, not on the sideline. I don't know what it's like to run a college football program, but that was one of the the obvious things I it's picked up. It's not that hard, and uh, I have to weigh in because well, especially with all the with all the play clocks now that are that are visible. I mean, when you said that, I was thinking of my first varsity start. 
we played Camden High School, which has had a great program, and we were winning. And my coach, McEnany, said, you know, Will, you got to count it down to like one or two seconds to, you know, on every one of these plays and keep the ball on the ground. We do not want the clock to stop. So, you know, I had to manage that in my head looking, you know, you know, looking at the clock and, you know, somebody on the sideline going 10 seconds, you know, and me going 1,001, 1,002, you know, in my head. But, you know, that's you didn't what have an earpiece in? You know, they didn't give they didn't give an, ear, an earpiece back then. No, no earpiece. That was nineteen seventy five or whatever, fall of nineteen seventy five. But you know, we we did that. That the, they taught me that how important that was. Is you know, part of your job as the quarterback is to know every play, to know the other team's defense, and know how to manage the clock. Whether we got to get our ass to the line quickly, or whether we're taking our time and we're trying to burn clock off. These guys aren't calling their own plays, though, like you were as a high school. Think about that. High school no. kids, you're calling your own action. These guys are hearing it from three different people in their ears. So that's that's a head coaching. Well, the other, yeah, the 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 other thing that's uh, I highly recommend. Now, this is pro football again, but because sometimes we're critical of people, but one show that I highly recommend, and the things that Will just said made me think about it, because they're always worried about the clock. Because I always watch, I watch the. Uh, the ESPN two broadcast of the Monday night game when it's Eli and Peyton. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's great. And my wife loves it, especially I, I would recommend it for all, all fans. Cause you, you pick up so much about the game um, because they, they don't hold back. Now they, they get a little, you know, goofy with their, some of their interviews and that's fine. You know, we got to remember it's, it's, it's a, it's a it's alternative broadcast, but as far as X's and O's and the clock, the running of you know, he goes crazy. He, uh, Peyton goes crazy with the clock. And uh, matter of fact, when he was on the Pat McAfee show yesterday, they were uh, all the guys on the show, you know, McAfee's uh, battalion of uh, his, his team of uh, other people he has. They were all doing the timeout sign because real quick, because that's what Peyton does when, when they, you know, they're trying to. So, so those guys break it down. So, and it, it's really simple. Like one little thing that stuck with me. And again, I, I covered football. And I was, you know, Bobby Ross taught me a lot. Bobby Bethard, uh, Bill Parcells, uh, the uh, special teams coach for the Giants back then, a guy named Belichick. Uh, so, so I learned a lot through the years. But the, the, uh, Eli said it to a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know, when when they, they were screwing up, not, you know, not getting short yardage when they could. On uh, he goes, listen, I forget what coach told me or offense coordinator said. The game is about two things when you're on offense: touchdowns and checkdowns. And it's so true. You, you know, there's so much to check down now because half of these DBs are, are so deep and they, they're so soft that you can you can almost get – so so that's why when you have a performance like the Giants had last night, and I wanted to get to the Giants, the um, the fact that, that they couldn't do anything offensively, terrible offensive game plan in my mind, terrible defensive game plan, and also they took a cheap shot at Geno Smith. And, and good for Geno Smith. He's come a long way. Covered him as well with his uh, time in New York with the Giants and Jets. Um, so, uh, and it's good to see Pete Carroll too. Pete Carroll uh, is energetic at 71, 72, whatever he is. And uh, it was a great show. And they also have Will Ferrell, one of my favorites, who is good friends with Pete Carroll. So, so that's a, just a recommendation for me. Watch that uh, broadcast with those two guys. You're going to learn some football. Yeah. With um, you had mentioned CJ or well, Daniel Daniel Jones. I always want to call him Daniel Wilson. That's a former catcher for the Mariners. <laughs> Daniel Jones. I can't figure out what kind of quarterback he is. When he came in, they made him seem like he was the next Manning, and he's not. I mean, that's obvious. But um, you know, who was he like? Like, what what style fits him? Because he last night he was he threw that one pick. Uh, that's pick six where he, he threw it back shoulder to the guy and he, it looked like he read the wrong route um, altogether where they were in the red zone. He, he did a great job running on fourth down. He's got great legs, but uh, fumbles the ball. I mean, just doesn't take care of the ball. Well, he's done a better job of that this year until last night. And, um, but he was running for his life, that offensive yeah. line mess. And, and as Will knows, if the offensive line isn't there, you can't get a read of what kind of, that's why I said game plan was terrible. They should have, um, Especially with them playing man a lot, um, they should have uh, they should have called some plays early in the game where he drops back and then takes off, 
because that that would that you know that that's it was there it all day. Down, yeah, yeah, it, it was, was there all day. Best runner, right? With I mean, Saquon's really healthy. And and don't forget, I was there with the when the, they had the fumble. You know, so I, I, you know, I've been a lot of Giants games through the years. I was there when Brad Van Pelt and Brian Kelly, used, uh, great linebackers, used to tell the offense when the offense went on the field, "Okay, guys, hold them," because they were so bad offensively. So, so I'm constantly amazed by the Giants' inability to do simple football things, no matter who they bring in as coaches. And I, and I think Will made a great point earlier about how we anoint these people as heroes right away. Uh, Brian Dobell, uh, the coach of the Giants, last year everybody was going crazy, and I didn't see it. I said, yeah, he's just done it. But they got a lot of breaks last year. They won some games that they shouldn't have won. Some things happened. And then they got blown out in games that they, they, they had no, no no business being in, including the playoffs. After the win in Minnesota, which was so obvious. Minnesota, has, what are they? I think they finally won a game. But yeah. but this guy hasn't shown me that much yet. Just, you know, he, he hasn't shown me those, that head coach ability. Um, and so I just think, uh, I think with the Yankees, Mets, Giants, and Jets, you know, and again, we got to see Zach Wilson, uh, make that leap. Kenny, we'll see. Um, um, it, it's a tough, it's a, it's tough being in New York right now. And I want to, when we, I know we're running, run, running fast here. We got a lot going on, but uh, at some point I want to talk about the uh, Buckshaw Walter too. So I'll let, uh, when we get to that point, let, uh, uh so, you know, one thing, observation, and like I said, I've been still scouting and I'm out here still scouting. And I have engaged as a Philadelphia born and raised area kid on the Eagles. And I've watched a little bit of them this year. I didn't see any of this week's game. I was flying out here to Arizona, but I watched it. Yeah. Um, their training camp has become, you know, such a fearful of any injury where if they play one set of downs in the exhibition games. So like to me, Jalen Hurts has played okay, but his timing with his receivers is not good because, you know, in practice, it's not the same as the game. Um, So that timing on pass plays at high speed, high intensity is not there. Um, and watching some of the teams that they've played against, it's been the same way where, um, you know, I think that their, their, their training camp is so unpreparing for them. And that's why there's so many early injuries as well, because they go from zero to 60 in the games as well. Well, I want to I want to weigh in on that because it's the same it's the same nerds. Well, they're different. They're football nerds, but there's football nerds throughout football now, and it's the risk assessment guys are, are afraid to do anything. Same with uh, you know uh, the, the the you know letting guys uh, sing them down after they have a two home run game. You know, yeah. In baseball, load, load, what's it called? Load management, load management and uh, load management. Yeah. yeah, and I watched that game, and I'll tell you what, the Eagles are so lucky that Ron Rivera was the head coach of the opposing team because they the 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 the, the uh, you know the commanders and by the way I want to we my friends that I was watching the game I was watching the game at my son's place Augie's draft room at St. Augustine. Big crowd. It was a great crowd. It was fun. And I'm not a big Washington fan, but I was I kind of got into the game and um uh but the fans there they all hate the name commanders by the way. So I want to let them know that's stupid. And you know, okay, you get rid of Redskins I like the Redskins. Again, that, that's me, though. I'm a, I'm a dinosaur. But they, they came up with a name I think they should have called the Hogs because that, that fits their old line and everything. So they would call themselves the Hogs. But anyway, what is Ron Rivera's nickname? You know, they, you know he's like the gambler, right? You know, uh, you know, he gets the touchdown. That brings him with him one point. The Eagles' defense is exhausted. And he doesn't go for two to win the game. All he's got to do is make a couple yards. And that would have been – that he had to – you know, Riverboat Ron had the chance to bet it all there. And nobody's going to be down on him if he doesn't make it, if something happens and the play doesn't work. But to not go for two there, again, it gets back to this common sense. They don't see what's in front of them, and they listen to the nerds. 
you really think the, that the commanders are going to hang with the Eagles in overtime? No, no not, not in Philadelphia. So why not go for two there? Again, there's so many weird things happening in sports that make no common sense. It's beyond me. Yeah, but it'd be nice if they offered explanation on it. Well, he did. Well, what he did say, I did. I followed up, and he said that he felt his offense was gassed. Well, as you guys well know, if the offense is gassed, what Uh-oh. about the defense? They're ding, more gassed. Ding, ding, ding! Right? <laughs> yeah. And one thing that I've seen, uh, I've seen teams have come up with. You know, you always have that play. You have that play that works, and. Uh, you know, uh, teams are, are getting more successful with a two-point conversion because they're putting more emphasis into it. It's not, it's not like it used to be. And and uh, the defense had to be gassed. You, you would have, you know, any kind of action play. I think, to be honest with you, I think they could have just ran it in front of two, you know, and, and everything. So, uh, so again, we're seeing, um, you know, I feel bad for the Washington fans. I, a friend of mine is a, uh, is a PR guy out there. He's a good kid. He worked very hard for the Mets, and good for him. He got a job with Washington. I feel bad because I'm telling you what, and and you guys know this yourselves, but I want to let the listeners know, when you lose a, a football game, that is a tough week because, you know, there's not that many of them. And I remember, you know, the Chargers went to the Super Bowl in 94 when I started covering them and and, and the relief of a victory. And it's, it's the old story. You win any way you can. So if you have a chance to win the game at the end, you better take it and not be gutless. Where are you? No, I, I just put a Facebook post on that today. I got asked, uh, am I a guy that is obsessed with winning? Am I someone who hates to lose? Uh-huh. And had to define the two. And I, I said, uh, obsessed with winning clouds my judgment sometimes. Uh, hate to lose makes me play not to win. And I said, I, I have to pick the situation. And I said, but I, uh, I said, what I asked the, the question asker was, is that uh, think about this when, when, you, when you go against uh, myself or somebody else. Am I trying to win or am I trying to beat you? I said, that's the only two things I'm thinking about outside of getting better and learning. Uh, and there's, a, there's a difference. But uh, I want to ask you about Stroud quick. Then I want to get the, to Buck because I haven't got, to, I haven't had a chance to see Stroud. Love them as a college quarterback. I love Trevor Lawrence. I know you're down there by him. Uh, what do you, what makes him so good right now? So early. Uh, Stroud is calm and he sees what he sees. He doesn't throw interceptions and he's on the money and he, you can see he's, he's not flamboyant, but he's steady. And uh, to me, I, I'm, I'm making an early bold prediction. And remember, this is a guy who who, who uh, loved Tom Brady when I first saw him when he first played his first game. I think Stroud's going to come out of this as one of the best young quarterbacks, despite all the other guys getting hyped. Wow. This kid this kid has – he's got a he, – you could see he had the clock in his head. And I forget the number I heard, but the X amount of passes without an, an interception. And he's taken a bad team and turned them around. They're a pretty good team now. Uh, they got a couple other things going on, and, they, and they've surprised some people. So he uh, he puts the ball where it should be. And the other thing I notice about him, he doesn't – he puts the ball where the receivers don't get crushed. And to me, receivers are smart guys. They all – when they get that kind of quarterback, they, they do the extra – they go the extra mile for him because oh, yeah, they know no he's out after them. So, so all those little tangibles, uh, I'll have to – I'll have to call my guy in Texas, McLean, a uh, longtime uh, uh, Houston football writer, John McLean. We should get him on someday because he's also a good baseball man. He's got that good Houston, Houston draw. He knows more football than anything, but uh, I'd love to get his opinion on it. But, yeah, I, lo- I love Stroud. I think he's uh, – I-, I liked him when he was in college, but I'm really more impressed because, again, he's learned things – when you get to the NFL, everything is such as fast, so fast. I mean, I couldn't believe it when I used to go on the field with the Chargers the last uh, quarter of a game, and you see those guys running into each other. I mean, it's a car wreck every play, and uh, yeah. it's not the same as it used to be because of some some you know. And another quick point, you know, Jamal Adams last night getting taken out of the game. But what happens? This, and this is why we love sports. So I'm gonna I'm trying to keep this positive too. The Witherspoon guy gets more of a slot defender and he has the game of his life. He comes up with yeah. an exception, has some sacks. I mean, that's stepping up. That's what you do in sports. If your best guy goes down, you, you got to find a way, way to, 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 to make that loss. Not so painful. Rookie and, too, right? Yeah. And, 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 and Seattle did that. And again, Pete Carroll has his flaws. I, I don't want to get into the details of this because I, I promised somebody way back when, but remember that the, the, the the um the uh the interception in the Super Bowl. Yes, yeah. 
I asked somebody who should know, who, who's very close to Pete, and uh, they said that wasn't Pete's call. That's all. Leave it at that. So, so uh, you know, it's it's funny how these things work out. But I've always liked the way Seattle plays, and uh, I also like going uh, to that. Their, their stadiums are always good. Their, their fans are great up there. There's a lot of things wrong with Seattle now, but uh, you know, my advice to you here's a, here's a travel tip from AMBS too. If you're going to Seattle, you know, there's still some spots that are okay that, that you know, you may, you know, last time I went up there, you know, I was in some restaurant and, you know, and some guy was doing something you wouldn't do in a, you do in a bathroom right in front of the window. And I said something to somebody in the restaurant. And they said, oh, yeah, that's, he's always there, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, from that point forward, AMBS decided not to eat downtown. And I would go over to Bainbridge Island. So take the ferry to Bainbridge Island and enjoy yourself. Yeah. You know, Kevin, okay. I, I did want to weigh in on the quarterback thing. You said two things about the Texans young quarterback. Is it Stroud? Yeah. Um, yeah. How well he sees the field and how good his clock is in his head. Great clock. Um, Great clock. You know, all of our games become copycat games and we've become RPO quarterbacks, which I love the athleticism. I love the ability, but you still got to be able to see the field. You still got to be able to have a good clock and you still got to be able to make good decisions in your reads. And um, a lot of these really athletic quarterbacks aren't, aren't uh, developing that skill with the clock and with seeing the field. That's a good scout point there. That's why you're a scout. That's a, that's a great point. I, you know, I mean, it is so important. And like, like, like one of the things are the really good quarterbacks and you see, um, you know, when Hertz got into a really good rhythm last year, his pass was gone before the guy made the break. And that was the synergy between him and his receiver. So that when he made the break, the ball was there. And that was before he ended up hurting his shoulder and like I said, I'm an Eagles fan, so I watch a lot of the Eagles. I become a lot more engaged after baseball season. But, um, you know, that's that's a big part of being a really good quarterback. And, you know, being able to, uh, to have that synergy with your receiver, have receivers that run good routes. A lot of these receivers don't run good routes anymore either. They've dumbed the game down across the board, whether it's yeah. football, baseball, basketball. Kids aren't calling their own plays. And they're not calling their pitches. Basketball Robots. playing cards aren't Robots. calling their own things. And it's uh, – yeah, they've dumbed it down for these guys. Yeah. So, um, I, I, hey, we're I, running out of time, so I want to make sure we get the buck. Yeah, get the buck. Let's move the buck right now. I'll let you go first, Will. But I, you know, big I know disappointment. You know, so well. And, buck know, is uh, – um, you know, two years in New York, they went over 100 games, a bunch of injuries before the season even started this year. Started the season without uh, Verlander, Quintana, and Carrasco, I believe, was hurt. Um, and Diaz, of course. And Diaz is closer. Uh, they did not do a good job of building a deep bullpen. Um, their lineup was uh, – you know, early in the year, did not perform real well. Um, I, you know, two years and, uh, what, 180 wins? Yeah, 180, I think it was, something like that. Yeah, yeah I, you know, and, and you're out. I, you know, a lot of guys that do a lot worse than that that keep getting re renewed every year. Um, you know, yeah, they fell short last year in the playoffs. Um there was a lot of problems there, but, you know, Buck Showalter is a really, really good manager. Um, and he had a good staff too, I thought. Yeah. You know, uh, I, you know, I, I think though there were some on that staff that he inherited too. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Uh, you're right. That weren't his choices. And, you know, at a certain point looking at it from afar, um, he became disengaged this year, and I think he may have seen the writing on the wall. And that that's a shame when you see a guy of his ilk and his passion to kind of lose lose his engagement every day on the game. Well, 
And we all know baseball is a game of relationships. So once the David Stern's rumors, and they weren't rumors, it was a reality. Once it got out, I'm sure Buck could back channel that and found out that he was going to be out. So it's, it's it, you know, at that point, it's really hard to to to, um, to, to realize you, you gave you your heart and your soul and you got 101 wins last year and you ran into a hot team in the Padres. Um uh, the good news is I thought from listening to his press conference, I saw a guy there who was basically interviewing for his next job. And, and he, he didn't he didn't crush management. He didn't crush David Stearns, who didn't have the guts to come to him personally and say, hey, by the way, Buck, I'm just making this change. That's one thing I hate about this new generation of uh, uh, leadership, quote unquote, you know, they don't have the guts to go, you know, you know, they, they send you a text or they send Billy Epler in. Quick comment on Billy Epler, Mike Sosha, Joe Madden, Buck Showalter. All those guys lost their job. Wow. Yeah. If you think about it. What, what is the way this guy was GM? Nobody's brought that point up either. That's a key point. Wow. Yeah. That's a wow point. I mean, uh, and I'm sure if I talked to Joe about it, he would uh, he would have something to say about it. Uh, and Socha too, um, and, and Buck in the future. But Buck is looking for his next job, and Nevin got fired. So it doesn't work, no matter how you try to become a you know a manager. If you're in a bad organization, you got no chance. And uh, we'll see where the, the Mets go from here. But but I'm hoping that Buck makes you know he'll, he'll you know so hope, hopefully he gets another opportunity down the road. If not, he'll be a good broadcaster. But uh, 67 years old. Uh, and like you say, there were some people he inherited, and you could tell they weren't on the same page. And um, and 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 let's face it, you you pointed it out earlier. They they made some bad player personnel decisions. The people they called up weren't ready. They weren't coached right, and the, they got rid of their minor league development people. Some of their people because they didn't think they were doing the right job. So so a lot was stacked against Buck this year, and they're unathletic. That's another point I want to make real quick. Um, Unathleticism is is, is is a sign of a lot of these nerd teams. The Yankees, the Giants had 57 stolen bases. Acuna had 70, right? The Giants, uh, they're so smart, these guys. They're so smart. I'm told how smart they are. Yet they can't see that with the new cheap stealing base rules that you need to be athletic. That's how smart these guys are. So well, I'm tired of hearing that they're smart. They're not smart. They, they, they all have the same game plan. And I think uh, – you know, some of the words they come up with are just word salad, and that's where we're at with uh, some of these guys. You know, uh, you know, you mentioned their their all season signings. Their first signing last year in October after the season, and I thought he would be non tendered. Was Vogelbach? They, you know, you add into the unathleticism of that team. That's un- unbelievable. You know, it was like, oh, gosh, let's get Vogie done, you know. Uh, it, it's, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, boy, you know, that's the reason we won 101 here this year. I So it was it was bizarre to sit back and watch that and go, gosh, that, that one doesn't make sense. You could have waited till January on that probably. Yeah, or, you know, or, and, or never do it. And then uh, the same thing with the catching situation. They left themselves short in catching. Um uh, they brought the kid up too early. He's still got a long way to go. Alvarez, they're, they're counting on him way too much for way, what, what, how he catches. I mean, go right down the line. I mean, and also, they got the, the Phillies and the Braves and the Marlins in that division. One other point I want to make, uh, Dave, before you run us out of here, is I uh, saw a very interesting stat the other day. I'm going to give it to you guys and get your reaction. Um, I think it's a key stat. You know me, I, I'm not against numbers. But I, I believe in important numbers. So here's the stat. The fewest lineups used in 2023, top three teams, Braves 80, Phillies 109, Rangers 114. What does that tell you? Continuity. That's it. You, you get to you know, like, no, it's nice to go to the ballpark knowing where you're going to hit. That's right. And and managers, good managers, want to know what they have every day and know that the guy's capable of executing in his slot in the lineup. And, um, you know, talk about a number. Last night I was talking to Rick Williams, as I said, you know, we talked a little bit about the Mets situation. And, Kevin, I shared this with you, is as an organization, they almost exclusively throw three and two breaking balls. 
Yeah. Um, you talk about Edwin Diaz last year. Uh, Rick Rick gave me this stat. He digs in the numbers a lot more than I do. Edwin Diaz, who throws 101 miles per hour, had 87 three and two counts last year. He threw 84 sliders on three and two. Mm. So it's like you can't throw a 101 mile an hour fastball on a three and two count and locate. Yeah, and just locate it. You're telling me that's not a good enough pitch that you got to go to your slider. Um, His DNA, Will, is so good that he could escape that. Yeah. Whereas the other guys, and that's the point you're making, other guys who are not as good as Edwin Diaz would have to follow the same game plan and uh, see your baseball. Right, yeah. And, you know, that's the thing. They they cookie-cut game plans and – you know, as we always talk about on our show, Dave, as you know, and Kevin, you guys have listened, is, you know, the journey to a certain count calls for a certain pitch. It's not a cookie-cut thing that every two-strike pitch should be this. Every 0-2 pitch should be this. Every 3-2 and two pitch should be this. So it's, it's kind of ridiculous. And what if your slider's not that good that day? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you know, well, ironic, too, that they spend all this money and data apparatuses to chase velocity. When you get to that 3-2 count, they wouldn't go back to where they put all their money into, which was right, exactly. these guys to chase velocity. Well, I knew it was a mess there, and this was this predates even Billy, but I was at a uh, – it, it might have been my one of my last uh, spring trainings there, uh, but I always go down early, and I'm seeing uh, – and again, we're talking early – you know, mid-February, early February, is right after the Super Bowl. Um and and Degrom is doing a, a a bullpen, so I go out to watch it. And again, this is what real writers do: they see things and they they learn from it. So I go out to Degrom's bullpen, and what you know, again, Will, you've been there forever. A bullpen in early February should just be a get your work in bullpen, right? I mean, you want to you want to work on some things, maybe. But yeah, so I, I go out to the bullpen, and uh, at this point, this bullpen was alongside the field, so I'm 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 four feet away from Degrom. As he's on the mound. So I'm not watching this from afar. I'm not screwing anything up. I'm seeing what I'm seeing. After every one of his pitches, and like they say his first 10 pitches, two interns, you know, two little skinny interns, uh, their shirts were too big for them, um, go out with measuring, uh, you know, and measure his stride after every pitch. And then all of a sudden they – they input it into the computer. I talked to the, the computer nerd, nerd guy later, and he's giving me all this stuff, what they're doing. And, you know, they're trying to do certain things to get his velocity up, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I walked away from that saying, the ground's going to be ruined. They're going to ruin him. You know, you know it's, it, it's February. You want to get... It's February uh, 5th, 6th, 7th, whatever it was. <laughs> balance, rhythm, timing, and your delivery have some athletic movement and flow to it and uh, get your arm loose and throw as many strikes as you can. Start feel for the strike zone for your four seam and two seam fastball, your change up, your, you know, maybe spin a couple curve balls or throw a couple sliders. But most importantly, you just want to feel comfortable on the mound. And it's the ground. So I could see if it was some guy that stinks and trying to change some things. Okay. You're going to work on increasing, decreasing the stride, whatever. So right then and there, that told me, and again, it's a little point, but it's a big point. And I always say this little things are big things right then and there. That told me that he was going to be in big trouble. They didn't know what they were doing. And, and, uh, and uh, and it was coming. I'm sure it was coming from above. I'm not even saying the pitching coach had anything to do with this. I, I don't know who did this, but it's it's one of those things that you see if you if you know what you're looking for and you go to spring training. Even as a fan, that's one of the great things about Port St. Lucie. Fans get pretty good access there, and you go in the backfield, you see so much that's important. And um, and 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 there were so many red flags. With, with the Mets this year, and most of all, the, to me, the biggest one, ironically, is the biggest guy, Vogelback. No, we need to get athletic uh, DHs here. We need to do this. We need to do that. Um, and, and for Buck, uh, you know, Buck makes some mistakes too. There's no doubt about it. But for him to have all those things against him and then to be 
And, and how awkward was his press conference where he, you know, he, it made it almost sound like he resigned, but then he kind of clarified it. They clarified it. Then they weren't going to have a press conference and then they got hammered and then they realized Steve Cohen had to come down. So Steve Cohen talked about it and, and basically told the truth and uh, wearing his Mets cap. I found it very interesting the next day when they had uh, David Stearns in that Steve, Uncle Steve was not wearing his Mets cap. So maybe they're trying to be more professional. Uh, maybe maybe Stearns told him, hey, we don't wear caps when we're on the, you know, unless you're the manager, you can wear a cap. You know, so again, it's all the little things that the Mets do that make it so interesting for Mets fans. And the Yankees on the other side of town, um, man, they got a lot of issues. And, and thank God Aaron Judge is speaking up. You know, I'm close to some people with Judge, and, and I'm glad he recognizes what's wrong. Uh, we'll see if anything gets fixed up. He may have the the ear of the front office, hopefully, this season and help them with some changes. That would be nice since every other player in the world thinks they have a say. Be nice to see Judge put his foot down there since he signed on for life with the Yankees. Well, uh, Kevin and Will, thanks so much for a great show. Our resident scout, Will George, our resident Hall of Famer, AMBS, Kevin Kernan. Make sure you guys support Ball Nine. Our, our uh, those are our brothers in arms. There, they do a great job every week. Kevin's got two tremendous articles every week. Make sure you tune in for a day at the yard. Common sense pitching with Wiley and Will later on this week. Will George, Mark Wiley do a fantastic job of breaking down the game, breaking down pitching, and and uh, they always have phenomenal guests on. And to our audience out there, thanks so much, 50,000-plus, 74 countries. You helped us get on iHeart. Um, like I said, give us a couple days to work out the logistics of the advertisers here, and we'll be right with you with those discounts that we promised you. But, guys, thanks again for a great show. Love having your show. And the roundtable is back, and we will have Coach Sal back with us next week to fill out the foursome here. But thanks right. again, guys. All right. Great job, guys. All comes down, swings his bed all the way around. The world's so still you can hear the sound. The baseball falls to the ground.